Happy Sunday to you. All right. We've got a peppy second service today. It's delightful to, to see and hear. My name is Michael Miller. I'm one of the pastors here. And before I speak, there's something I'd like to say. Um, somebody once said. So here's the thing. I was listening to that second song, and this is the second time that I've heard it uh, before the service begins, you know, before I begin to speak. And there are a couple of things that are um, pre-introductory material that I, I want you to recall from the song. It said, Lord, I've been told to be ashamed. And I want to tell you, that is not the intention of God. God does not want you to be ashamed. God works with conviction, not with shame. As we talk about the passage, I'm just going to tell you that there are other voices in the scenario, and it's other voices who want you to be ashamed. There was a line about giving up my religion. We are in a context in which Jesus is talking to religious leaders who do not have the people's best interests at heart, who are not motivated by God's plan. And so that song is talking about shrugging off that kind of thing and saying, this isn't what we're about. We're not about adding rules. We're not about adding practices. We're about what God says. Okay, that's the pre-intro intro. Aren't you pleased? Yeah, I am. Uh, and if you're like me, there's, there's this thing that happens from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, it may be that I'm nearly 51 years old now, and uh, so, you know, the, the little gray cells, they do not work as well. But I, I walk out on Sunday, and I have to look at my notes in order to remember at all what happened. It's like it goes into vapor. And so I was thinking about when my daughter Naomi is here. When, when she was little, she's an excellent car sleeper. And so we'd be someplace, we'd put her in her car seat, and then she's out. And then we show up some other place, and if pattern held, then she slept there for a while longer before finally awaking, which was awesome. And then she'd be completely disordered. Where am I? How did I get here? What's going on? Sometimes I feel, when I'm going in a sermon series, like, wait, what just happened? And as I was writing this sermon, I keep looking back to the previous, so I thought, maybe I shouldn't just do that myself. Maybe I should tell you where we've been. Okay, end of John chapter 9. Tim finished that up last week. And here's what happened in John 9. Jesus had healed the man born blind. We call him the MBB because, you know, acronyms, they're, they're awesome. Uh, and then, as, as Tim described it last week, Jesus explains that Jesus is the Son of Man, which means he's claiming a unique role in the Hebrew understanding of how the world's going to unfold. And the MBB, the man born blind, who's been healed by Jesus, who hears this message, says, it says he worshiped him. And Jesus, unlike any other observant Jew I've ever heard about, received that worship. And this is a significant moment in John because he's, he's a man and he's receiving worship. Judaism doesn't allow this. Why is it okay? Because he's the God-man. 
He's fully God and he's fully human. And the man born blind saw something that the Pharisees didn't. The Pharisees are confused. Jesus says they're blind. They say, you can't mean that we're blind. And he says, basically, yes, yes, you are. And then he continues on to our passage. So I want to talk about the sheep pen. Um, But first, Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, this little sermon in this six-verse set that Jesus gives, he's giving it to religious leaders who have heard other people say who Jesus is and have rejected it. It's kind of a specialized little sermon, isn't it? Except that, well, everybody rejects who Jesus is until he opens our eyes to it. So, the Pharisees in verse 6, it said they didn't understand what he was talking about. Let's see how we do. The rest of verse 1 says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So, clearly, this statement is pointed at these Pharisees. But if you're like me, it's not totally clear upon first reading what his point is. And I will say... There's, there's something that does make sense about this. If I find you climbing in through a window in my house, I am going to greet you with a baseball bat. In the Lord, but with a baseball bat. Okay, we better keep reading. Verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay, so we've got a sheep pen, and we've got sheep, and we have a shepherd entering by the gate. And I've tried to create a setup that's reminiscent of this scenario up here on the platform. And anybody who's particularly good at set design and construction, I'm not interested in your criticism, but I will accept your mobile phone number and I'll text you next time. Just putting that out there. Okay, this one looks like it might be found in a town among buildings. All the Sunday school pictures that I ever saw had it like a corral in the middle of nowhere. And while that does happen, what I've read says, don't forget that people lived often in towns and that people had sheep. So the rich guy in town probably has many, many sheep. But you, as an impoverished person, might still have climbed that that first rung of one sheep. Or maybe your family has a couple of sheep. And you get milk from that, you've got wool from that. If things go badly, maybe some, some mutton chops. I don't know what's, what's really going on there. Um, which is a perfect time to invite my volunteer sheep up to the front. So if you don't mind coming on over here, if somebody enlisted you as a sheep this morning. And then we have a shepherd, and we have another shepherd. So shepherds, come on over here. I, I know there are more than three sheep, because sheep, sheep over here, sheep over here, sheep over here. All right, is that all your sheep, shepherds? You've got, you've, one went astray. Okay. There's only one good shepherd, and apparently it's not Kevin. (laughs) Good news. All right. So 
if these are the town sheep, the idea is we want to keep them safe at night. They're not out grazing. They're collected for the evening. And the beauty of a setup like this one is we've got walls, we've got a gate. It's easy to protect. A shepherd might sleep in the doorway, they said. There might be a door or gate. Or there might be a hired person who acts as a guard. And in any event, you got to have the right ID to get in, right? Or you're one of those people breaking into my window or trying to scale the wall. Now, I got to tell you, shepherds and sheep, do not attempt to scale the wall. It's easy up in foam, you know? Like, I don't want any injuries this morning, although we are paid up on the insurance. All right, so what I'd like, what I'd like you to do, Kevin, if you can manage to lead your remaining sheep into the pen, please, that would be most helpful. <laughs> Now, you'll notice that he's not actually leading them. He's merely pointing in the right direction. And so you've not got the right picture of sheep in your head because are sheep smart? No Nobel Prizes for sheep yet that we know of. Okay. Wow! I turned my head for a moment, and all the other sheep are in the pen too. Did you lead them there, or did they just wander off on their own? Okay. And this is why we need so much reminder and reinforcement and not go our own way. Okay. <laughs> so sheep. Sheep are not bright, which means that sheep are foolish. Sheep make bad decisions. Sheep are willing to eat things that are poisonous. Sheep are willing to walk on paths that are going to cause them to fall down a hillside. Sheep are going to blunder into things that will cause them to be stuck. Sheep are woolly, and they get burrs in their coats. And then, because they lack both opposable thumbs and the right jointing, they can't do anything to remove them. It's not easy to be a sheep. On the other hand, that lack of volition means that they can be guided and led, and a shepherd who actually takes care of the sheep, as opposed to somebody who's tired from doing it from first service as well, <laughs> if there were such a person, uh, you know, it's, it's important that they have a shepherd is the point. Jesus here is drawing a distinction between two kinds of people. He's saying there are legitimate shepherds and then there are thieves and robbers. How can we tell them apart? Well, the robbers come in the wrong way, right? What is the motive of the robber? Not rocket science, just tell me. Steal the sheep. Nobody's breaking in, climbing over the wall in order to comb their little woolly coats, right? I'll give them special meat-free kibble. I don't know what you'd do for a sheep. Um, so over the wall or past the guard is the only way to go unless parachutes were designed and created earlier than I think they were. All right, but so that these fine sheep don't have to stay up here all morning, thank you for your patience. Okay, now... What I'd really like for you to do this, this time, maybe you could lead your sheep, shepherd, because this, this is the visual I want you to have, so try to get it right. Your voice, your leading, your sheep. Maybe you could sing them a little song as you go. <laughs> All right, thank you. And, and David, excellent name for a shepherd. Good job. 
Good job. All right. Okay. So they've exited through the gate, and they're going to head out to their pasture lands in their different places with their shepherd, depending on the shepherd, to lead them to the good food. John 10, 3 and 4. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So the, the shepherds led their sheep out, and uh, they're, they're now grazing peacefully in the pews, and that's fantastic. Why do the sheep need to be called out and led by their shepherd? They aren't capable of taking care of themselves, is the first reason. And the, the second reason is they were made to be led. Sheep weren't made to be independent actors in the, the, the world scene, okay? I don't care how many episodes of Shaun the Sheep you've seen that tell you something else. That's not how it works. So here's the rub, people. I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. Tim was up there. Tim is a sheep. Barbara, who's been here for 65 years at this church playing the organ, is a sheep. We don't graduate out of being sheep. So even if you are serving the body of Christ as a, a sub-shepherd of some kind, a pastor, a community group leader, a, a director of a ministry perhaps, you never get to the place where you're an independent actor. Or if you do, there's a big problem. You tracking with that? It's really important that we own this. And so I'm going to say it again. I'm a sheep and you're a sheep. Say I'm a sheep. Thanks. I feel better now about being a sheep. All right. We need to be called and we need to be led and we're not capable of fending for ourselves whether we're God's sheep or not. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. And if you were tracking at the beginning, and if you're old enough, you remember this old song we used to sing, and then all of a sudden this Meribah and Massah stuff starts, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I got you. I got you, fam. The psalmist mentions these two. Meribah means testing. Masah means quarreling. And the original hearers of the psalm would know exactly what that is. But since most of us aren't that conversant in the book of Exodus, let's go to the middle of it. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, 
What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand before you there by the rock. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This story is about a kind of shepherding. Moses is leading the people out of slavery in Egypt, out of all kinds of troubles in the wilderness, to a promised land under God's command with God's voice hanging in the air practically and they're belly aching because there's no water. And every time I read this story, I'm like, why didn't they just ask him for water? Why is the first place we go complaining? It made me wonder whether sheep complain, but I found no authoritative information on that subject, so we'll move on. They resisted Moses, but they also resisted God and their hearts hardened. We can do this too. We can ignore God's voice. We can demand God's intervention in the way that we specify and in that way only. We can deny being sheep in the first place, but I'm a sheep. A few of you are sheep. But this is a common description of our condition. Isaiah does a similar thing in Isaiah chapter 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There, you, you had a picture of what doesn't happen earlier. David's sheep went where they were supposed to go without him even leading them. This doesn't happen to us. We don't default into doing what God wants. It's, it's opposite what we want generally. So, we're unable to make good choices. We're focused instead on our own agendas. And Isaiah is setting expectations for the kind of shepherd that we need, one who can absorb all the wrongdoing that we can muster as we wander and rebel. Okay, there's a promise. But there's also in Ezekiel a specific promise of how God is going to answer this problem. God himself will seek after the wandering sheep and care for them. Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read like half the chapter, so, you know, buckle up. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, Slaughter the choice of animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays nor searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And if we interject with John for a moment, this is how the Pharisees have been responding to the people. The man born blind, he's fine. They don't know what to do with him until he's on Jesus' side and then no dice. He's out. Kick you out. We can no longer make use of you. So they were scattered, these sheep, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains. 
and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As sure as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them onto their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. God himself will take care of the sheep. And that's amazing to me because I'm a sheep. Are you a sheep? <laughs> Thanks for the ba. That, that, that was a good pickup there. Um, God's going to take this annoying, frustrating task on for himself. What makes it a little bit confusing is just three chapters later, Ezekiel's going to say something that sounds a little bit different. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Here's the, the wrinkle. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. In Ezekiel 34, it sounded like God was going to be their ruler and their leader, and now in Ezekiel 37, it sounds like David will be in charge of God's people with God's covenant, his plan, his oversight, God's presence. How do we reconcile these? That's right, Tim. We reconcile them in the person of Jesus, who is both God himself, fully divine, and man, 100% man, able to be a human king and to understand what it's like to be a sheep, to live among sheep, and yet having the capacity to be a real shepherd. And that need isn't just for the nation of Israel. Israel went wayward every time they had a chance. They were always erratic at best. 
Man, I'm a sheep. Peter wrote to the Gentile churches, though, after Paul died. He wrote to the Gentile churches, which Paul had planted, and he said, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's not just Israel who needs a shepherd. It's not just Israel who's wayward. It's us too. I'm a sheep. You are sheep. Tim's a sheep. Within the body of Christ, we serve in different ways, but the thing we can't lose sight of is we never graduate past being a sheep. There's no step on some spiritual evolutionary scale for us. We may be charged with all kinds of responsibility, but we're going to remain a sheep, which means we've got to be following an appropriate shepherd. So I'm going to ask you two questions, and you can write them down if you want, wherever, um, but there's a box at the, the bottom on the back side of the bulletin that has the four questions that we always ask. And then there are some lines, and it's probably not enough room, but I'm just suggesting that's a place to write it down. In what ways can you see yourself as a sheep? If you say woolly, you're copping out, okay? Just acknowledge that to yourself and, and everyone else. In what ways do you have difficulty identifying as a sheep? Is there some place in which you say, no, 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 this spot I've got it, I don't need to be led by Jesus here. That would be a place in which you would have difficulty identifying as a sheep because clearly you can be trusted in that area. And then, again, the first question is, what ways can you see yourself as a sheep? Okay, we got sheep, we've got a shepherd. Who are the thieves and robbers, these Pharisees, that Jesus is addressing in verse 1? Why? Because these sheep belong to God and not to them. Because their interests aren't in line with God's. Their whole problem with Jesus is that Jesus is preaching a kingdom of God that they don't want to have anything to do with. God and this group of Pharisees are not on the same page at all, and they're not, these Pharisees aren't aligned with the interests of the sheep. They're interested in their own self-righteousness and feeling like they're good people. They're interested in gaining and exercising power and control and wealth. These are what interests them, and they were antagonistic to the man born blind. Why? Because he realized that he wanted to follow Jesus. Now that he's in that camp, they don't want to have anything to do with them because Jesus' truth is just impossible for them to take on board at this point. And that's the trouble with hearing the voice of God. If I'm a sheep and you're a sheep, then God himself has the standing to speak into our lives and to tell us who we are, where we might have gone wrong, and we don't usually like that. And even though Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, um, we're pretty prone not to listen. Paul talks about how the church in Corinth was easily persuaded by false shepherds, by robbers and thieves who enticed them in dangerous directions. 2 Corinthians 11, I am jealous for you, Paul tells the Corinthian church, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray 
from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit that you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And if you look at the letters of the New Testament, the epistles is what we call them, you'll see that addressing false teachers, confronting them, addressing the false teaching that they're peddling is a major theme in most of these letters. The apostles, those people who were charged by Jesus to uh, develop and lead his brand new church, were emphatic that their churches and their church leaders especially be able to see where people came with false messages and false teaching and confront them. Why is that so important? Because false messages from false shepherds distract us at the very least, and they prevent us from listening and obeying uh, God. So Peter explains the importance of our hearing God's word, which endures forever. First Peter chapter 1, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And John agrees with this. Later in the very book we're studying, in John 17, 17, he, he says that Jesus asked God to sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And the truth will sanctify, will clean, will develop, will grow the sheep. God's word sanctifies the sheep. How? If you've been around here longer than a week or two, you probably know it's not just by hearing the word, but by doing it. Let me give you one more example of scripture of this in play. Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What is the better thing that she's chosen? It's not opting out of the chores that need to be done. It's not opting out of being a proper hostess, a quick break. No, she's focusing on her shepherd and what her shepherd is saying. So this passage reminds me of something that happened early in our, our marriage. Uh, we lived in a condominium that I'd owned for a few years before we got married, and uh, I had a strange house cleaning mentality. The kitchen had to be clean. I think the master bedroom was fairly clean, and everything else was kind of a free-for-all, to be honest. Uh, and so one of the things that we had to work out as a newly married couple is what we were going to do about this whole house cleaning thing. And uh, imagine Karen's surprise when my solution to the problem was to get and read a book on house cleaning. And she said, with the time that you just spent on that, couldn't you have cleaned the house? <clears throat> <laughs> I 
Not the only time that she said something to me that made total sense and made me a little uncomfortable. And the thing is, maybe there were life-giving tips in that book. Maybe it was the best book on house cleaning that was ever written, but I don't remember. And the reason I don't remember is I read the book and then I didn't clean the house. And how many times do we come and hear a sermon or we sing a song, we, we literally sing it out loud and it's based on words of scripture and we walk away and none of that goes into practice. And so we want to be listening to God and living out what he says. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to say that can only happen mystically. I mean we need to be focused on God's voice and so we need to learn God's voice in order not to follow someone else. What John 10, 5 says is they will never, this, the, the, the sheep who belong to the shepherd, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. How do we hear God's voice? I hate to be obvious, but it's called the Bible. Romans 10, 17 Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So just as we never graduate from the gospel, but we continue to understand it and apply it deeper and deeper into our lives and the situations that we face, we never graduate from the word. I've been amazed a number of times talking with someone and hearing them explain to me how they heard God and, oh, well, what did God tell you? And the thing that they're telling me contradicts scriptures that I can come up with on the fly. Okay, if that's the deal, that's not God you heard from. That's a robber. It's a thief. If a voice says, you're a sheep in all aspects of life but this one, that's not the voice of God. It's a robber. A sheep never gains independence from the shepherd. You never expect a sheep to grow up out of sheephood. And I'm a sheep. Are you a sheep? Many of you are, and I thank God for it. We take our marching directions and our feeding directions and everything else from our shepherd. So business practices, dating behavior, treatment of your siblings, handling of finances, you don't get to be independent in these if you are following the shepherd. You have to do what he says. Oh, okay, meddling again. If the voice says, you can follow the shepherd everywhere but that place, that's a robber too. Christ didn't come so that you could integrate him into your life and decide how he fit in. He came so that you could follow him now and always to the greenest pastures, and he knows where those are, and how to get you there. Sometimes it's a long and rocky road to those pastures. All right, so Karen and I kind of worked out our house cleaning issues, or at least our expectations were reset eventually in a way that we're willing to live with. Uh, but there were many battlegrounds left in our early marriage, and some remained uh, for a long time. And so what I know, first from God's word and second from life experience, is... Uh, you never, ever get a pass out of following the shepherd through some part of the journey. So Karen and I are going to a wedding this afternoon, and uh, as I was thinking about our wedding reception, I was thinking about our first dance. And uh, <laughs> Karen and 
uh, Naomi are chuckling to each other because they, they know the story. Karen, uh, I'm just saying it first, Karen is a much, much, much better dancer than I am. Much better. And you can kind of tell by the way I'm moving, can't you? <laughs> so, so in acknowledgement of that, Karen and I went to see a, a lovely uh, older lady who had a, a dance studio and we took these private dancing lessons and we used our song and we danced and it was lovely except Karen's a much, much better dancer than I am and here's the problem. Karen was dancing to the beat. I was dancing to who knows what. And the difficulty for Karen was I was doing it wrong. Why can't Mike get on beat? Well, that wasn't going to happen because I was busy trying to gain control so that I could figure out what the beat was. I could dance just fine with Flo, the teacher, because she was willing to go off beat until we figured it out together. Karen was right. I was off beat. I was right. I was supposed to be leading. But neither one of us could figure out how to get from that point to actually dancing in harmony. And so... I never did get on the right beat. I, not, I'm very sorry, honey. But marriage is often like that, okay? I'm using a kind of harmless example, hopefully harmless. Uh, somebody's weak in some area, maybe for a long time, and we want to opt out. We want to opt out of being loving because we weren't loved properly. We want to opt out of caring because somebody didn't care for us in the way that we expected. We won't follow them anymore because they led poorly. Oh, my goodness. Um, we give ourselves a pass instead of letting God speak through what's going on in our lives, saying again and again, look, Mike, you resisted. You were on the wrong beat. You stayed there. In life, you strayed. You fell. You were bitter. But I didn't give you up to your own weakness. My perfect son stuck with you where you were in the middle of your rebellion, at the beginning of your rebellion, long into the middle of your rebellion. I didn't leave you. I didn't leave you to suffer. He stuck with you. Even in your current rebellion, I'm here. So why do you think you get a pass from me and you won't give that same kind of pass to your spouse, to another family member, to a coworker. There's so many abuses out there about the idea of hearing from God. Um, I, I, I mentioned the one of people coming up with stuff that contradicts Scripture. How about the one where you tell me what God told you, and it aligns exactly with what I already knew you wanted to, to do? I want to go to Hawaii, and God told me I was going to go to Hawaii. Really? Does God ever challenge you? Is he allowed to? Is that a place that he's allowed to touch where you want to go on vacation? And this is why we spend our time in Sundays, services, in Scripture, and why the songs that Laura created, that Aaron and Gabriel created, they're centered around the message of Scripture. Our discipleship centers excuse me, around Scripture and hearing it, understanding it, and doing what it says. If you're hearing from God and what you're hearing doesn't align with God's word, even if it aligns with your will, it isn't God you're hearing. 
Okay, what happens if you are following his leading? You're going to look more Christ-like. More like Jesus. I don't mean you're going to wear a robe and a blue sash and have a a beard, which is good because I can't do that. Uh, It's character traits. You're going to have Christ-likeness in what you do. If you're following God's leading, it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. An endurance and a willingness to endure in hardship and difficult situations and difficult people. But that's not what happened with the Pharisees. John 10, 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. This mini-sermon that he gives them, but there it is, and they're like, what? They didn't get it. So my question is, do we? God is standing in front of them, and he's telling them what's true. Is, is that something we're willing to hear? Is it something we're willing to act on? Here's another question I want you to write down if you're willing. How do I, how do you, want something that's different than what God said, and I can identify it? Sadly, I've got a list, because I'm a sheep. I'm, I'm willing to eat a poisonous berry, you know? Uh, somebody said that, that uh, lack of forgiveness is like drinking the poison and waiting for someone else to die. Too, too much of my flesh lives there because I'm a sheep and I need a savior who can lead me out of that and I need to grow in that area of forgiving people, especially people who have been hurtful to people I care about. 